fellow dogs and duck fans. Welcome back to the Dog and Duck Show. It's been a few weeks, but we're glad to be back with you. My name is Warren Maynard. I am the dog in this equation. And with me, as always, is my friend, co-host, and the duck in this equation, Mark Schmore. Mark, how are you doing, my friend? I am uh, five days out from Oregon's spring football game, so I'm doing great. Looking forward to uh, to seeing some some live football. I'll, not that I'm going to see it live, but uh, you know what I mean. You you are going to try to catch it some way. Is it going to be on TV? I will, I will. Yeah, I will watch watch some part of the game in some fashion. I'm not not exactly sure what yet. Well, you know, Mark, if anybody listens to this show regularly, they know that I pretty much open up every show almost the exact same way. Uh, and I ask you, how are you doing, my friend? And I have to admit that uh, a week or two ago, I was really worried that our friendship had come to an end. <laughs> so it, just for our listening audience, um, we were supposed to have a, a pod a couple weeks ago, and uh, just at the very last second, I realized that I had a conflict in my schedule, that I couldn't make it, and I shot Mark a text and I said, hey, it's not going to happen today. Sorry, I, I apologize. We'll try to find another time. Sent the text out, never heard anything back. And the next day, I gave him a call. I'm like, Mark, I hope everything's okay. Sorry, I missed you. Let's chat soon. No response. Text the next day. Hey, I hope I didn't upset you. Uh, really would like to hear from you. No response from you, Mark, at all. Crickets, silence. So finally, I call another time, and then I text another time a week later, I call you and you pick up the phone and uh, Mark, tell me, t tell everybody what, what happened from that point. Well, I, so I pick up the phone and I said, uh, you know, Warren, every time you've left a message, you have said the words, I still haven't heard back from you, <laughs> but I have called you and texted you multiple times this week. Every time you call me and leave me a message, making it sound like I'm avoiding you. I have called you back. I have texted you back. I read you word for word, a few of the text messages that I've sent you, and you had no record of them. And so that led us on a little investigative mission where we determined that you had blocked me as a contact, that you had, uh, you had made it so that you could call me apparently, yeah. uh, but that you could not receive any of my calls or text messages. Yeah, so... If you're wondering if uh, somebody has cut you off and cut you out of their life, as I thought Mark might have done to me, uh, be sure to check your phone. Make sure you haven't blocked somebody. You know, Mark, I know that as an offensive lineman, you like to block people, but uh, that was that was definitely not uh, a fun experience. So I'm glad that our friendship has survived the great uh, block of 2022. And we're back at it. It's been a busy season for us. As many of you know, I lead an organization called Impact Players uh, that's dedicated to inspiring men to be great husbands, fathers, and leaders. And um, 
last week I was on a writing retreat and uh, I spent 72 hours thinking nothing about sex. And, um, you know, you may be thinking, okay, now I'm really curious what this is all about. But one of the things that we're working on right now with Impact Players is a seven-week study for men on the subject of sex. Uh, how, do you, how do you develop good expectations or sex-pectations uh, in your marriage with your spouse? So if that's something that's interesting to you, check out our website, impactplayers.org. Uh, slash cohorts and uh, jump into a group of guys who are getting into it talking about a subject that will definitely be scintillating but uh, also practically helpful all right so it's going to be a great show um we're running on a time budget because mark you you've got a little bit of a technological uh time bomb going on on your your end don't you I've I've got a, a charging cable to my laptop that is uh, I hope sitting on the desk of my office, so I'm uh, yeah I'm down to twenty three percent Warren. So we'll we'll keep you posted. But at some point, if I if I just uh, abandon this recording uh, again, don't consider it an end of our friendship. Just just know <laughs> it's a technological issue, and and I will still return your phone calls and text messages in a prompt manner. This is a high budget, uh, high budget program here. So you get only the best from the dog and duck show. Yeah. Hey, it's going to be a great show. At the end of the show, we're going to have a major announcement. You're not going to want to miss it. <clears throat> and we're expecting an, a surprise guest who will join us at any minute during the show. So stay tuned. It's going to be a great show, but it is time for dog and duck news. So let's begin with a little bit of dog news. Uh, when when you you're coming off of a four and eight season uh, where you lost your head coach and uh, your entire coaching staff minus one coach, there's not a lot of exciting things to talk about, especially in the off season. So one is source of pride for Husky football has been really being the DBU of the, the West Coast for the last, you know, half a decade or more. And uh, I thought this was interesting. West, at West Coast, CF, CFB uh, posted on Twitter the other day that Washington is on the verge of having 10 defensive backs drafted since 2017 with Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie projected as potential first round picks. So Mark, I know that, you know, it pains you to hear that, you know, there's any point of pride for Husky football, but as you think about the landscape of the PAC 12, um, can you think of any other school that's had a run of dominance over the last five, six years when it comes to a position, uh, a position group being drafted in the NFL, like this defensive backfield group for the Washington Huskies, boy, you're 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 springing this on me without the benefit of you know being able to do some 
some research. So I, I can't say that there is one that I would, that I would equate this to in terms of, you know, the, just the sheer quantity of guys that they've had drafted to the NFL out of that unit. Like, I don't know if, if early in the David Shaw era, like Stanford's offensive line seemed to be really good, but I don't think they were, they were quite that good in terms of getting guys to the NFL. Uh, it seemed like in the Pete Carroll era, like USC always had um, defensive players taken near the top of the draft, but, but they varied. It was like some one year it's a safety and one year it's a, it's a linebacker and one year it's a defensive lineman. So uh, yeah, I think I, I can tip my cap in this sense and say that Washington is, has been on a run of producing top caliber defensive backs over the past few years. That is, that is pretty unique, uh, pretty special. I think my, my question now is like, is this kind of the end of the run? Yeah. Or is this, is this a streak that, you know, five years from now is, is only going to have grown? Uh, because that is, that is a really difficult thing to, to maintain. No doubt. I think it would be, it would be very presumptuous to assume that that run will continue at least at this magnitude. I mean, it really is a remarkable, remarkable run that they've been on at that position. Uh, but moving on, most Husky fans, when they hear the words, John Donovan will probably spit on the ground and uh, release a, a barrage of profanities as they think back to what might be the most ineffective and impotent offense in the entire 100 plus year history of Washington Husky football. And uh, my, Mark, this may shock you, but Mike Varell reported that uh, John Donovan was just hired by the Green Bay Packers as a senior analyst. Yeah. So, so Mark, you know, I, this is this is my perspective on this. You know, it it is incredibly difficult for anybody to be the goat at anything, the greatest of all time. But I have to believe that John Donovan is the greatest interviewer of all time because his ability to get a job after failing profoundly at every position that he's been in is truly a remarkable testament to his ability to interview in a way that is completely incongruent with his success on the field. It kind of reminds me, I mean, we try not to get uh, political on the dog and duck show, but, but I, if you'll indulge me just once, it reminds me of um, former Texas governor, Rick Perry, when he ran for president, one of his, his things was that he was going to abolish several different, you know, uh, parts of the federal government, including the Department of Energy, that he was just going to abolish the Department of Energy. And then when, when uh, Donald Trump was elected, he appointed Rick Perry as the Secretary of Energy. Uh -huh. And it was kind of this thing of like, we're appointing this guy to run this organization that he was going to ran on the promise that he was going to abolish it. Like yeah. there is not, there is not anyone better suited for the job than this guy. And that's kind of how I feel about the Packers putting John Donovan in a role <laughs> to help their offense where it's like, you realize this guy sabotages offenses for a living, right? Like right, you, right. You that's what he find, does. You could find so many other people more equipped to help 
your offense, including the two of us, I think, could sit right. there and like break down game film and, and make notes on tendencies. Uh, so there's you know, there's incredible a, work by the Packers here. Oh yeah, there there is a a a gold scene in the 1980s Tom Hank Tom Hanks movie called Joe versus the Volcano. And at the beginning of the movie, there's this guy in this dank uh, basement room, and he's asking the question on the phone over and over. He's saying, I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? Right. And uh, John Donovan has proven he can get the job, but he's also proven he cannot do the job. And so with that, we're going to take a, a pause because we've got a special guest who's waiting on the line to jump in with us. So let me go ahead and bring him on and, uh, and we'll uh, continue with our dog and duck news uh, in just a few minutes. And so we are letting our special guest come on to the show right now. Uh, he is a friend of the dog and duck show. He's a friend of mine and uh, someone that I've come to really admire and enjoy talking duck with, or talking dog news with. So with me now is my good friend, Mike Martin, the new owner of Real Dog. Mike, how are you doing, my friend? I, I, I couldn't be better, to be honest. I, I mean, this really, um, you know, I'll tell you a little bit of what I remember like falling in love with writing first before the Huskies. Um, I wrote a story when I was a little, when I was in uh, third grade uh, about, I don't know if you remember Rain, uh, Rainier Bank um, mm -hmm. back in yeah. the 70s. Well, I wrote a story about calling it Reindeer Bank. Santa Claus was like the bank manager, the bank <sighs> president. Uh, Rudolph was like the head teller. And, and, you know, it was just a, a story that I just enjoyed writing. And then to see my teacher's response, she was like, this is next level. This is not third grade writing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember her reading in front of the whole class and I was just like, okay, this was fun. And then I kind of chased some dollar signs after that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of, you know, every now and then dabbled a little bit in the writing in college and, and other places and to be able to buy up a uh, real dog is really just something that I literally had always dreamed about being able to do something like that. And now to be able to do it is just unbelievable. Well, we couldn't be happier for you. And um, you know, there's one thing that we all share in common or really two things we all share in common. We're all passionate about sports and we're all writers. Uh, Mark is an incredible oh, see, I writer. I thought you were going to say we all hate the ducks, but anyway, uh, no, we don't have that in common. <laughs> we don't have that in common. That, I'm just it, it, kidding. It's our differences that make the show really great. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Mark's an incredible writer. He writes his uh, blog that's published on uh, Sports Pack 12, uh, Mark's Moments. Uh, I was the, the sports editor for my high school paper, and I was a, a, a featured columnist on my for my college newspaper. So we all love sports. We all love to write. And uh, we're just really excited for you 
tell us a little bit about um, how this came to be. Like, how how did you go from uh, you know Mike Martin Howling Husky to the the SI Sports to now you know having this opportunity to buy Real Dog uh, and you know that whole journey. Give us like the two minute version of that. Well, originally. Howlin' Husky was the pen name, and I, I used it on a couple of the fan-based websites as my pen name, and I, I did a lot of stuff and had a pretty good following, and, and, and then I, I kind of leveraged that, the following that I had on social media, on the websites that I was writing for, uh, and I, I pitched myself to Ruth, and she said, yeah, we'll give you a shot. And she was patient with me because I had some, some uh, old fan uh, sort of type of things that I was used to writing. And as a, as a journalist, you have to be, you have to sort of put on your journalist hat and take off your Husky hat while you're writing stories. You don't want to say my dogs or stuff like that. Mm. So, you know, she was patient with me. Um, they all uh, stories that I would write go into would go into moderation and she would look at them and, and, you know, cost her probably an extra half hour uh, of her day when she would do my stories, but she was very patient. She brought me along and, uh, and, but it was during that time that, that I was writing these stories on the 1984 team because I was in the army in Germany at the time. And so I didn't get to experience that season. So for me, I, I was able to do a bunch of throwback Thursday stories. And I, I've uh, found out that there was enough uh, of the 1984 team to really kind of look at Don James. And we, we started to produce the, the Don James documentary. So I left Real Dog at that time while we developed uh, that movie. And so now that that is in the, it's actually in editing right now, probably as we speak, uh, I'm able to sort of pursue other uh, ventures. And, and I was with uh, SI for a while, for, for two seasons. And that was what I thought was the time of my life. Mm. And, uh, and then Ruth messaged me one day and she says, Mike, my arthritis is, is making it so it's impossible to produce content. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm, I'm looking to become a fan um, uh, again and, and get back to her roots because she, her dad was a, a Huskies fan in the forties, her dad in the sixties, she became a Husky fan under um, uh, Jim Owens. And, and then the Don James era shows she's been around Husky football a little bit longer than you or I have. And it was with her passion that she was able to herself become one of the very first sports journalists that was a female in covering recruiting. Uh, she was with a couple of different publications before she went out on her own. So she was a trailblazer, really. Somebody that was a pioneer in the, in the, in the industry. And so she... Uh, she's really done a lot for Husky Nation that I don't think a lot of people really realize some of the content that she's been able to get from an insider's perspective. So to be able to take 
that and and now maybe modernize it if you will because there's a lot of other things that we have our at our disposal there's there's the stuff that you can do on twitter now with live shows there's youtube we can do live shows we can do we can send out recorded things i just finished an interview with lance holtzkoff talking about his nil deal we're going to put that on youtube so that you the that the fans can hear it from the kid's mouth and it's not passed through a filter of of what what oh in the in the in the old days when players were misquoted now mm-hmm. it can go out in the kids own words and talk about how how things are and so you know that's where we want to take real dog mm-hmm. is is sort of not like it was archaic because it was groundbreaking but we want to take uh and utilize the entire social networking uh as a tool to really get the best stories for our readers mm, i love it i love it mark you you have any questions for for mr real dog here well i you know i went on the site here mike uh which has a lot of great content but i found out that some of it is for premium subscribers right so like the uh you have an article of can can Giles Jackson be the next Debo Samuel, and I, I clicked on that because to me, that's that's a one word article. The answer is no, but then I click on it, and you uh, you know I have I have to pay to read the rest of the article, and uh, and so I'm I'm just uh, I'm wondering how much of a balance of of premium content and content for me as a Duck fan. Uh, to read simply to troll Warren. Um, okay. Well, uh, for, for duck fans, we are currently running a special. It is uh, the price of an annual sponsorship gets you a month uh, on the site. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> um, anyway, you, you know, there's ways we have to pay the bills and there's a lot of exclusive stuff that we have that, isn't for general consumption when we talk to recruits we don't want um and they've told us something sort of in secret and they give us permission to tell it to our subscribers but it's not something that they want out there for general consumption there's a, a lot of stuff like that but um you know to to put guys in the press box uh two in football uh two in basketball and in every other sport you have to pay your bills somehow and for so um, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time there, I think, for uh, for the. No, I, I, I appreciate the question because it, it's something that that is is a, it's true. It's a fact of life that um, we all have bills to pay. I yeah. uh, I I bought the site. I'd like to get my money back somehow. <laughs> yeah, I was more just wanting to uh, to troll Husky fans a little bit for their for their belief in Giles Jackson, because last last offseason, Warren would not let me you know, stop listening to him talk about how Giles Jackson was going to be the Percy Harvin of the University of Washington. And, and I think we're still, we're still waiting on that. Well, he, you know, give, give the guy one year, but um, it, you know, the problem with, with Giles Jackson was not Giles Jackson. I That's will right. say that. Yeah. Okay. Um, there were so many opportunities to get him the ball in space that um, I, I, Warren, uh, when, when, when I first became your friend, I had a full head of hair, 
Um, and, <laughs> and now uh, I don't have so much. And I, I think a quarter of that was that, lost by John. going, why aren't they throwing the ball to Giles Jackson in space? Because the, the guy could make um, Percy Harvin miss in a phone booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Donovan is kind of like the anti-Rogaine, isn't he? <laughs> he is. He, he is where he was. Um, I think he's well, with Detroit now. No, he's with uh, the Green Bay Packers now. Oh, the Packers. Okay. Yeah, somewhere, we up where it's, somewhere where um, there are good pastures for him. So, um, so, so uh, Mike, you're, you know, you're, you're just getting started with Real Dog. And I know that you're making changes. You're going to be continually improving. You're hungry. Uh, you want to see. Washington uh, sports covered in, uh, you know, a variety of excellent ways. And, uh, you know, I saw just the other day, you guys have quote unquote acquired uh, the fourth and one inches, uh, you know, network, which is uh, fourth, fourth and inches. I'm oh, sorry. Fourth and fourth and inches uh, network with Trevor Mueller, Kayla Olin. Tell us a little bit about um, what that partnership is going to look like. Well, Jake Grant, uh, Trevor Mueller, Kayla Olin founded that network um, when sort of in the off season uh, when when we all kind of uh, decided to go our our own ways. And they're they're all personal friends already. And so when I let them know that I was considering buying a real dog, I said, hey, would you guys be interested in in coming on uh, partnering with with real dog and uh and so um it goes back several i mean several years uh because i was a fan of fourth and inches uh long before i was uh, i was ever on the show or they ever invited me on the show and so i already knew who they were i didn't have to vet them uh they're just they're passionate about the university of washington and really that's why all of us uh, except one is is here right now um and the one is mark just so you know i was talking about i don't have a i don't have anyone dissenting on my staff uh, but we, we've put together not just kayla trevor um Ro, roman uh, kyle waltos evan feather um today we just announced that kayla old is going to be president of of the whole thing and she's somebody that is with fourth and inches she's now uh officially with real dog she has unbelievable vision uh she just has great instincts and she she's she's actually a real dog she actually went to the university of washington she mm -hmm. has a communications degree she left foster school of business to get her uh, she has two years under her belt in the Foster School of Business. So she really kind of brings a lot of things to the table. She is, uh, I don't know if you saw the stories on her being a high school football official, mm. but she knows the game like um, like a lot of people don't from, from, the, from that perspective. But I tell you, when she, she used to be uh, my, well, she still is. But when she was doing play-by-play -play for me in Friday Harbor, mm -hmm. uh, we cover, I have cover high school football and basketball for Friday Harbor High School. She came in and she sat down and she was just a natural in there. Well, then I was like, hey, would you be interested in coming 
uh, onto our podcast because we were with Real Dog at the time. I remember that. And and so she came on and we were just kind of at the tail end of when it was part of CBS Sports. Well, we were doing a pregame show and uh, uh, I forget what team we were previewing. And I was... I was like, I was like snapping out with this, this number, this fact. And then Kayla comes behind me and just buries me. Mm-hmm. And she was, I thought I was prepared until uh, they turned on her microphone and I'm just going, you know, it was sort of proud Papa, but an embarrassed mentor at the same time. Right. The you student know? had become the teacher the you know and and so she just she's she's far better prepared than anybody and she she's able to look at things from a communication side and a business side Mm -hmm. and when i really knew that i had a superstar was when she and i pitched the don james documentary to the studio rocket soul up in bellingham and when we released the official trailer we had over a hundred thousand social media views uh, within three days. And we were comparing ourselves to the university of Washington who ended up having 36,000. So um, she, she, she's got it right up uh, between the ears. That, that is exciting. We're, we're both big fans of Kayla Olin. Of course, she's also the brainchild behind the Pac-12 fantasy football uh, uh, program that we were a part of this year. And I'm not if, if she's in a, if she's in that again this year, I won't participate because I don't want to get my butt handed to me by her on well, something else. Because she and uh, I spend I spend half my time sort of bowing to her, so we just yeah. don't, I don't don't need another thing to lose to her in. <laughs> well, Mike. We want to we want to honor your time. You're a busy man. You're you're all over the place right now. But um, we've got we've got some big news as it relates to the the dog and duck show. So uh, you know why don't you go ahead and kind of help uh, make this announcement? We're we're excited to uh, partner with you and with Real Dog, and uh, tell us a little bit about what that's going to look like. Well, I tell you, there there were a couple of things that when I considered uh, buying Real Dog, uh, two people that I reached out to were Kayla Olin and, and Trevor Mueller. And I, I told them my plans. But then the very next call was to you. And I, I said, would you be interested in joining Real Dog under the Fourth and Inches Network? And I extended that invitation to you. And you and Mark talked about it. And so you know, I'd like to welcome you to the fourth and inches because I extended the offer and you guys took it. And this will be the first, uh, first episode on real dog. So welcome to fourth and inches and real dog. Oh man. Well, we're excited. Uh, I, you know, I can just say as a dog, this is, you know, uh, a great joy for me just to be in a network and a community with other dogs and and what i'll say mike is that what i like about you what i like about kayla trevor and the group of people that you're running with is that um you guys are coming at husky sports husky football um with 
a sense of positivity, optimism. You're not afraid to call out a player or a coach if they need it. But, um, you know, we're not carrying this doomsday negativity that we see sometimes on Twitter. And uh, I'm just excited to be able to uh, continue to produce great content and really a different flavor because the Dog and Duck Show is truly a show about dog and duck news. But not only that, we cover all kinds of sports throughout the year, all kinds of sports stories. So this is a show that can kind of fill in the gaps uh, for a lot of things that you might not get it on a normal Husky podcast. Right. And, and you know, um, I just want to let you guys know that um, earlier today, I got tested and I tested positive for Husky fever. <laughs> and now I hope I've given it to you. Oh, it, I got a fever. It's, it's burning inside. <laughs> hey, Mark, uh, so this is going to be, you know, basically the way we do the show will not change uh, dramatically, but, but Mark, how does it feel for you to now be uh, associated uh, with the, the Real Dog Network and uh, Real, Dog, Real Dog and the, the Fourth and Inches Network? You know, Warren, you described it as a dream come true to be associated with a community of fellow dogs. And, and I think for me, it's a different kind of dream. It's, it's a nightmare. Uh, no, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, no, it's, it really is an honor. I think uh, we know that, that Mike does such great work. Uh, obviously, we're big fans of Kayla and Trevor as well. And so if, if, I'm, if I'm the lone duck voice uh, in, in a network of, of dogs, I will happily play that role. I, you know, I've been playing that role in my friendships for the last 20 years. So uh, happy, happy to do it here and, and happy to have the platform that uh, Real Dog and, and Fourth and Inches provides. One thing I'm certain of, Mark, is that you are more than capable of holding your own, no matter how many dogs, uh, you know, back you into a corner. Uh, you you always have just the right quip, just the right story, just the right uh, insight to level the the playing field. So I have no doubt that you're going to be more than prepared to uh, to to hold your own in this equation. Uh, but Mike, uh, any final thoughts before we we let you wrap up and and let you go? Well, you know, I, the only thing that I can say is is uh, you know, I, I thought my dream was to write about the Huskies, but now to be able to uh, really usher in a new era uh, mm -hmm. on Real Dog for Husky fans and give Husky fans the content that I crave as a consumer. Mm -hmm. That really is what, dri what drives us. Um, what drives us, I, I don't ever want to think that I am my own boss. I think of the Husky fans as my boss. Uh, we're going to go where the stories are and we're getting told stories all the time that uh, stuff that we're chasing down. So, you know, I really, although I own it, I, I want it to be owned by Husky nation and really something that they can uh, really turn to and go, man, I, I want to go read this this story, that story, um, and really be a, a destination 
for Hus all of Husky Nation. I love it. So the website is realdoghuskies.com. Mike, how do we follow you on the, your socials? At Howlin' Husky. Um, and it's Real Dog 2020 on Twitter, where we're creating uh, some other social media platforms. There's also Real Dog Recruiting on Facebook, but we're going to have a lot of other uh, leather. I think we're doing a TikTok. Uh, talk to our social media coordinator. Um, I think he's has that in the works as well. So, you know, we're going to be everywhere. Well, we're excited to do this with you, Mike. Uh, congratulations once again. I know this is a tremendous uh, you know, dream come true for you. And uh, I know all of Husky fandom is cheering for you and for Real Dog to succeed. And uh, let's, uh, let's hope and pray that this upcoming season with Kalen DeBoer, um, along with Real Dog, just is the, the turning of a wonderful new page into a tremendous chapter of Husky dominance and uh, a run of like no other of, uh, you know, just thrilling upsets and defeats over the Oregon Ducks. Can we uh, all do an amen? 7120. <laughs> I mean, amen. 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 All right. Well, Mike, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be in touch. We'll be looking forward to having you and other Real Dog members join us on the show in future episodes. Uh, but for now, we'll let you go and uh, go dogs. Go dogs. Well, thanks again to, to Mike Martin. And thank you, uh, Mark, for being such a good sport as we kind of uh, you know took over the show there to uh, to, to talk to Mike about Real Dog, to talk about our merger with them and the Fourth Inches Network. And um, yeah, exciting stuff. So uh, any, any thoughts on, any other thoughts on that before we change our gears again? No, just, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, an honor to be, you know, invited to participate in, in something like this. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's great, uh, really is. Clearly, I think we both believe that this is going to be a great opportunity to expand our uh, listenership, to widen our, our audience, and uh, hopefully, maybe at some point, there may be a competing uh, duck type of you know website that wants to uh, feature the dog and duck show uh, on their, their page as well to hit more duck fans, but but for now, we'll take a, a heavy dose of, of dog listeners if that's, uh, if that's what it takes. Sound, you know what? For me, Warren, there's more satisfaction in, um, in sharing wisdom with those that have been in a, a fog of, of uh, denial and confusion. And so uh, I, I would rather you know, have a show that's, that's dedicated to, to Husky fans. I, I feel like they're the ones that... Uh, that could use what we have to offer the most. Well, Mark, I, I know you're, you're such a nice guy and um, you would never do anything to, you know, to, to squash anyone's dreams or to kick anybody when they're down. But uh, tell me, what were you thinking and feeling when Josh Connerly announced that he was going to eschew 
the local uh, local Husky football team and take his talents to Eugene, the five-star offensive lineman uh, from Rainier Beach High School announced that he was going to the University of Oregon. Well, this was during the portion of our relationship where you had blocked me. So I don't think you received my text message, but I think I said something to the effect of, well, isn't it great that here's a Seattle prospect who's not going to Ohio State? Uh, <laughs> because, because that was, you know, kind of the source of so much frustration for Husky fans. Right. And, of course, you're and, referring uh, to Amika Igbuka, uh, JT Tui Malau. Yeah. You're talking about, um, oh, what's his name? Son, uh, the wide receiver. He'll come yeah. to me in a second. But yeah, we've had a run of highly talented um, in-state players go to Ohio State. And uh, we had, it had been since Jonathan Stewart, since the Oregon Ducks had taken a player of this caliber out of the state of Washington. Yeah, and that worked out very well for both Oregon and for Jonathan Stewart. So I, I hope that Josh Connerly is as impactful of a player uh, for Oregon as, as Jonathan Stewart was. That would, that would mean he had a really great career. But uh, I, I, was, I was surprised. This was one of those kind of late decisions that, you know, he was, he was going to have a press conference and choose between three or four hats. And it, it seemed like USC kind of had the inside track and so for for Oregon to land him uh was was just a, a really big a really big get late in the late in the recruiting class and and kind of I think the first signature like well I mean I guess they've had a couple now that you know Mario Cristobal set a certain standard with recruiting and and I think there was a question of whether the current staff was going to be able to maintain that momentum and and I, I think we're beginning to get our answer that uh, any deficiencies that Oregon has on the field are not, they're not going to be able to be blamed on not having enough talent. Uh, right. You know, you could say that during the Mario Cristobal era, especially the way they ended the last two seasons, that that talent didn't always play up to the capabilities that was expected of them. Uh, but it would seem like in the Dan Lanning era that, that the talent will be there. It's just a matter of, of whether the coaching staff can, can maximize that talent on, on Saturdays. Yeah, you know, I think for many Husky fans, they had already resigned themselves to not getting Connerly. I think most Husky fans believed he was going to go to, you know, one of the big name Southeastern schools, Ohio State, or USC with the Lincoln Riley buzz. Um, so in many ways, I think USC fans were more disappointed than Husky fans to lose out on Connerly. USC in particular, because as uh, much buzz as they've gotten over the big time quarterback, Caleb Williams from Oklahoma, some big time wide receivers, Mario Williams from Oklahoma, as well as uh, a few other big time guys, the offensive line unit for the USC Trojans is precariously th thin. Yeah. Uh, I believe I saw last, last I saw, uh, they only had nine scholarship players in the offensive line uh, room right now. So that, that hit pretty hard. And, you know, Mark, we're going to talk a little bit uh, in just a few minutes about the impact of NIL, but certainly 
you know, this Josh Connerly deal, um, there, there's been a lot of speculation that NIL played a significant role in it. Yeah, I mean, that certainly has come out. Uh, I think I've seen that more from, from the Husky people that I follow on Twitter than the Duck people. They, they seem to keep underscoring how much the NIL influenced this, this decision. But, uh, I mean, I think uh, that's, that's the nature of, of the recruiting game at this point is, you know, players are going to go to wherever they think, um, whatever whatever school they think maximizes their opportunities and the opportunity to kind of cash in on your name and image and likeness is, is one of the primary opportunities that they're looking for. I think, you know, players are still, I think, wanting to go to a place where they can compete for conference championships and national championships. They're still going to a place where they want to be prepared to go to the NFL. So I, I, I never look at it as like that was the deciding factor as, oh, this player. Because I think for the great players like Josh Connerly, he, he was going to be able to figure out a way to capitalize on the NIL regardless of where he went, certainly if he went to USC. Mm. So, you know, the, the idea that somehow that was kind of the, the only factor in the decision uh, to me, it, it feels a little bit reductive. It, it feels like uh, we're not really kind of acknowledging the, you know, the whole, the whole story that goes into one of these decisions. So aside from the, you know, purported up to $1.2 million that may have lured Connerly to Oregon, um, you know, I think every recruiter is trying to tell a really compelling story. Every, every, no matter what college, every recruiter is trying to tell a really compelling story, even if that story is uh, mostly fiction, you know. And so, with with that in mind, uh, there's you've got in your notes a an interesting quote from uh, the offensive coordinator for the Oregon Ducks, Kenny Dillingham. Share this quote, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about it before I give you my thoughts about it. Yeah, so Dillingham, uh, I think, was asked kind of about um, how how Eugene is as a football community. And his answer, I'll read it word for word. He says, this place cares about football. I say this is the only place west of Texas that has a mindset of the South when it comes to football. This is a Southern school. When it comes to football and when it comes to sports, it's a true college town that can win championships. And if you're out West, this is the only real college town that can win championships. It's pretty cool. Uh, what I found interesting about this, of course, the quote itself is interesting to kind of parse and, and figure out, do I agree or disagree? What I found interesting about this, Warren, was some of the people that retweeted it or some of the people that agreed with it. Uh, John Wilner, who is, you know, probably the most established journalist on the Pac-12 conference uh, from the San Jose Mercury News. He essentially said Dillingham is right. Um, Rudy Carpenter, who is a former uh, quarterback at Arizona State, I noticed retweeted this and said, yeah, he's right. Uh, and I think that's interesting when it's like when you see a, a quote like this kind of be put up by other people who are not necessarily affiliated with the University of Oregon, but have a tie to somewhere else in the conference that point to this and say, 
yes, that matches my perception as well. That I almost found was more interesting than the quote itself. So are you saying that by liking the, the, the tweet that they were saying that it was true? Well, no, no, I, I think both of them, I would have to go back and, and find the tweets, but I think both of them not, not just liked it, but actually said, this is true. I think Wilner actually said, Dillingham is right. I think mm -hmm. that, was, that was his quote. Yeah. And, and then I think Rudy Carpenter said something to the extent of, this is true or something like this. So that that's what I'm that's what I'm saying is is that they weren't just passing it along, but that they were saying right, right. No, there's there's some truth behind what he's saying. I think that's an interesting perception. Well, I think it's it's an interesting quote to come from a guy that number one has not coached a single game with the Oregon Ducks yet. I mean, Kenny Dillingham, he's 31 years old. Um, he's certainly got an impressive resume for a 31-year-old offensive coordinator. Uh, he spent time uh, with, with uh, Mike Norvell at Memphis. Then he headed over to Auburn and then spent uh, a couple years with Florida State. But, uh, you know, Mark, what did you think of the Florida State offense last year? Well, I mean, if this is turning into a question of, of how do I think Kenny Dillingham will do as an offensive coordinator, I think that's that's a big a big question. He he coordinated an offense at Memphis that averaged forty points a game. His offenses at Auburn and Florida State were were pretty pedestrian, and I think Oregon fans have kind of scratched their head at that hire in particular. Whereas a lot of the other hires that Dan Lanning has made have seemed to have been pretty well regarded. This was a guy who coached with Dan Lanning uh, mm -hmm. before. I think they were both at Arizona State together, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so, yeah, he's a very young guy. He's very uh, outspoken and enthusiastic, you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, it remains to be seen, you know, whether he can, whether he can call a good offense. I think that's, that's an open question going into the season. I think uh, because he has coached at Florida State and because he has coached at Auburn, him coming to Eugene and kind of looking around at the facilities, looking around at the type of investment that the university is making in the, in, in the football team, I think that's where this quote is coming from, is where he's looking around and he's saying, this place is as committed to, to a winning football culture as as the places that I've been to in the SEC and the ACC, and I th I think that's where his his comparison. But again, I was I was less interested in Kenny Dillingham's opinion than in how this opinion was viewed by some other people with connections to the Pac-12, especially somebody like John Wilner, who studies you know the, uh, follows the Pac-12 as as closely as anyone. Well, you know, I mean, I think uh, if it's it's really it does come down to what are you looking at when you make a a statement like that if you're looking at the 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 fan base in in Eugene um you know we know Autzen Stadium is a great environment for college football uh obviously the the Phil Knight Nike um it, you know connection is is known worldwide um that that's really been oregon's ca calling card for the last you know few decades 
um, the the uniforms, all that stuff that they bring. They've obviously done well the last two decades on the field with um, Mariota and with Chip Kelly and Markel Fritch and and then you know the the run that Mario Cristobal had. But if you look at the state of the program right now, you've got a 36 year old head coach with no head coaching experience whatsoever, a 31 year old offensive coordinator with a very spotty track record, a 40 year old defensive coordinator with very little defensive coordinating experience. Um, you know, to say that they're the team that's most primed or the only team that's primed to win at a national level um, at, at, you know, in the Pac-12, it, it certainly seems like a very slanted perspective. Yeah, I, I don't know if, um, so he said it's a true college town. If you're out West, this is the only real college town that can win championships. So I don't necessarily see that as a comparison to Washington, USC or UCLA, because I don't think Seattle or Los Angeles would be considered a college town. So, so you think I, that's what he meant? You think? No, he, yeah. I, well, because he's been at Tallahassee, he's been at Auburn. Right. Obviously, most of the schools down in the SEC are kind of in smaller communities. So I think I, this is what I took it as: is he saying that like Eugene as a college town is different? Uh, in terms of kind of and and that what what has been built at the University of Oregon is different than you would find in in college towns throughout the western half of the United States and that it reminds him of of what he's been affiliated with uh, in the SEC I think what if if Washington or if USC competes for national titles that's that's a different thing because they're located in major metropolitan areas and they're really two of the only uh, schools that can say that. I mean, I mean, there's a there's a small list of Power Five schools that are in a major metropolitan area, but I think hit this. I think this was really talking about um, the school and its place in that particular community of a of a college town. Okay, so the key the key qualifier there then is the college town. So he's saying out of the college town schools in the Pac-12 or on the West Coast, Oregon is the only one positioned to well, win. Well, he says that. He says, if you're out West, this is the only real college town that can win championships. Right, right. Okay. He literally says that. So I think, yeah, I think it's a comparison to other college towns, yeah. which would not include if Seattle or Los Angeles. If that if that was if he was really being that specific, then then hey, uh, I think that argument does ring a little bit more true. But I'm sure for most people, you just kind of read the quote in in generalities. the The way that it comes off is Oregon is the only school on the West Coast that really has the potential of playing on the same level as an Alabama or in Ohio state, you know, that type of, that type of thing. I think when he says, he says, this is a Southern school. Yeah. I think what he's saying there is, is that it's different in terms of, of it feels more like an sec school. Mm -hmm. You would never 
say that about the University of Washington or about USC, even when they're at their peak, even when Pete Carroll had USC going, it never felt like an SEC school because right. it's in the major, it, it's in the middle of a major metropolitan area and, and it was just a different, a different dynamic altogether. So, so I, I think this, this, uh, this quote is entirely about the context of, of where the University of Oregon is I didn't I didn't read it as you know even even like a place like um well I don't know is Salt Lake City a college town like even Utah is more in like a a metropolitan area than um than certainly than Eugene is well if if you were to consider uh Utah a college town then you would have to say that they are uh, equally as viable as an option as as Oregon at this stage, if for no other reason than the fact that they got shellacked by Utah twice in a matter of three weeks. Well, yeah, certainly if, if you're just talking about uh, last season, um, Utah had a better football team last season. I don't, I don't think you would necessarily say over the last you know decade or two that uh, Utah has has the same track record as as the University of Oregon, uh, or or even the same. You know, I, I think when you're talking about comparing it to an SEC school, and you're you're thinking about what are the facilities like, how much are they paying their coaching staff, like stuff like that. I, I don't know that that Utah would would check all those boxes either, but uh, but Utah certainly had a better team last year, and and could very well have a better team this year. Well, the clock is ticking on the great um, battery time bomb. But before we go, I wanted to hit on one other thing. And uh, when when power dies, power dies. But but Mark, you know, we you and I have definitely uh, stood on different sides of the the conversation around this NIL, the the name, image, and likeness, how that's changing the game of college football, I think for the worse. And uh, we've, we've heard, uh, you know, Davo Sweeney be very vocal about the way that he thinks it's a negative for the game. Now, um, the greatest of all time, Nick Saban came out. I read this in the Seattle Times article by Mike Varell. Uh, this is what he said about the NIL. He said, I don't think that what we're doing now is a sustainable model. And then he goes on to say, um, he said, uh, that creates a situation where you can basically buy players. You can do it in recruiting. I mean, if that's what we want college football to be, I don't know. Um, so here we have, you know, uh, Nick Saban is a, he's a national brand. Alabama's a national brand. Bryce Young, um, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, had one of the most notable NIL deals in college football last year. And it sounds like Nick Saban's having some regrets, um, having some, some buyer's remorse about this NIL deal. What do Mark, as you're seeing this thing continue to play out, Oregon potentially gaining a recruit, uh, a la Josh Connerly because of the NIL uh, my understanding is potentially having lost a five-star quarterback uh, due to an NIL deal 
from the University of Tennessee. Is your tune changing any at all about this this NIL conversation? Well, I think what Nick Saban said is right. I don't think it's a sustainable model. And I've said all along, like, let's just give this a couple of years to kind of see how it plans out. That I don't I don't think that the most lucrative deals now are necessarily all going to be consistent uh, several years from now. I, th I think we're going to kind of see uh, a setting of the market, if you will. And we're going to kind of understand uh, that there are certain players that are really marketable and that there are certain players that that aren't and schools are going to adapt to that businesses and donors are going to going to adapt to that but when i hear nick saban or dabo sweeney complain about something like this that actually makes me think even more that it's probably a good thing because nick saban has been stockpiling recruits for years and years and years often manipulating uh scholarship limits and really, frankly, taking advantage of, of lesser players on his roster by gray shirting them or, or, or doing different things, taking away scholarships at the last minute or different things like that, where he is he has always been cutthroat when it comes to utilizing the scholarship uh, limits that he has at the University of Alabama. And I don't think he likes the NIL option because it it gives him less control in the process. And it opens up every other school in the SEC can now potentially lure that five-star quarterback if, if there's a, a compelling reason for a kid to, to go check out one of these other schools. And, and Nick Saban doesn't like that. Dabo Sweeney, the same way. In that same interview on ESPN.com where Dabo Sweeney was complaining about the NIL, he was asked about the fact that he and Nick Saban make over $10 million a year. And he basically said, well, I'm not going to apologize for my success. But to me, we, you know, why should we have it one way and not the other? Why should Dabo Sweeney get paid $10 million a year to coach amateur athletes? And those amateur athletes, many of whom are going to eventually be in the NFL and make far more money than Dabo Sweeney, why should they not be able to capitalize on that success now? So I, I continue to think um, that kind of the hand-wringing about it is, is hand-wringing done by either schools that are, are losing power, like Alabama, or schools that are behind in, in kind of the, the ascent, schools that maybe are, are frustrated or annoyed that, um, that they're losing out recruits to, to other schools like Texas A&M or Tennessee or, or Oregon or whoever it is. And I think I look at Oregon's coaching staff and I don't see any of them complaining about it. I see them, you know, seeing it as, as a potential way to um, help the students that, that they're dealing with and to help those students take advantage of opportunities. And so uh, that's, I think that's going to continue to be my posture until, until I'm really faced with like a reason to not like athletes getting fairly compensated for for what they can provide well you know and i mean the fairly compensated that's the big question mark what does that mean how how do you determine whether it's a fair compensation uh, and to be clear kaylin DeBoer nor the husky coaching staff has complained about this at least publicly DeBoer did say you know hey we're all trying to figure out what this new landscape looks like 
there are ways that this doesn't seem sustainable. I want to read this last quote from Lane Kiffin before we wrap up, but I think this is the way a lot of coaches are probably feeling. Lane's just outspoken enough to say it. He said, it's basically like everybody's got different salary caps. I joked the other day that they're going to implement a luxury tax on Texas and Texas A&M. What they're paying the players is unbelievable. It's legal. You've got players who have never played before making hundreds of thousands or even a million dollars. It is what it is, but it's not going to be an equal playing field around the country at all. Um, so, you know, take that for what it's worth, but um, I don't think that the introduction of the NIL is going to result in an, a more equal playing field. If anything, I think the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer. Uh, Mark, any final thoughts before the battery runs out, uh, the, the carriage turns into a pumpkin, and we, we put this uh, show to rest? My, my only uh, final thought is that uh, Lane Kiffin's most recent salary, uh, most recent contract extension paid him over $7 million a year. So again, if Lane Kiffin is concerned about it, I'm not really concerned about Lane Kiffin. Understood. So as long as a coach is making over a million dollars a year, he shouldn't have any commentary about the NIL. Uh, I, I, I think he should be happy for the players that are, that are enjoying some of the same uh, financial windfall that they themselves are benefiting from, especially because they're benefiting from the efforts and the sweat and the blood of the players on their teams. Like Lane Kiffin would not have a salary unless he had 85 players at Ole Miss who work their tails off every single day of the week. So for Lane Kiffin to be upset that now, some of those players might potentially uh, be sharing and some of some of the wealth that this sport of college football has generated to me, uh, it's, it seems a bit inconsistent. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are new to the Dog and Duck Show, welcome to the show. This is what the Dog and Duck Show is all about. Two passionate sports fans from opposing fan bases that seem to come to a different conclusion on every sports position imaginable and yet we do it with grace and style mark thank you as always thank you everybody for listening we're excited to be a part of real dog and the fourth inches podcast and with that i will say as i always do go dogs and i will say go ducks we'll catch you next time <laughs> <laughs>